Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord God, as we open up your word before us again this morning, we pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we might hear your voice above all else, that we might see Jesus, that we might respond with faithfulness and obedience. In his name we pray, amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 10 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Balmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our text this morning takes place immediately after Jesus has just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. He took what was given, he blessed it and multiplied it so that all the people ate their fill with plenty left over, seven baskets full. And this was just a chapter and a half after Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish and 12 baskets remaining. But after those 4,000 had eaten their fill, Jesus sent them away, presumably to go take a nap, and then he and the disciples got into a boat and began to sail across the Sea of Galilee. When they arrive on the other side some Pharisees come and immediately begin arguing with Jesus, 
asking him for a sign from heaven. I'm sure Jesus must have rolled his eyes when he saw these religious experts coming his way. After all, even Jesus got tired of pointless religious debates, something we seem to be addicted to in the church. Yet Jesus knew full well that these Pharisees had no real interest in what he had to say. They just wanted him to give in, admit that they were right and he was wrong, which is usually the reason we enter into debates, isn't it? But even worse, they wanted Jesus to prove himself by giving them some sort of a sign. But remember, Jesus has just fed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread. Do signs get much bigger than that? But the truth is, if somebody has already made up their mind about Jesus, it doesn't really matter how big of a miracle he performs. No amount of evidence will convince them because faith cannot be proved. In the words of William Barclay, the very faith which is dependent on signs and wonders is not faith. If faith cannot believe without sensations, it is not really faith. It is doubt looking for proof and looking in the wrong place. You know, so often we think if, if we could just get one bona fide miracle out of Jesus, you know, one crystal clear sign, one bit of indisputable, undeniable proof, then we would really believe and totally commit our lives to Jesus. We might even start tithing. Well, let's not go that far. Got a little excited there for a minute. Sorry about that. But certainly we'd make Jesus a much greater priority in our lives, wouldn't we? The problem is, while faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, it is also a choice, an act of the will. But proof removes your ability to choose. And God loves you far too much to take that freedom away from you. After all, it's the only way you'll ever be able to love God in return because love is also a choice. And so Jesus refuses to perform on demand to take away your doubt. After all, he's already conquered death for you. And sent His Spirit to be with you and to empower you and comfort you and guide you. He's already blessed you in countless ways. But if you are not paying attention, if you are not choosing to look at your life through the lens of faith, then you will never see it. You will never believe. Remember, the Pharisees and the crowds witnessed Jesus perform many miracles, 
And yet very few of them ended up becoming his followers because miracles do not produce faith. And even if you do get the miracle that you're looking for and believe as a result, what will happen the next time you go seeking a miracle and do not get it? What will your faith be based on then? The truth is, Christians don't actually believe in miracles. No, we believe in Jesus who has the power to do miracles. After all, he himself is the ultimate sign of God's presence and power in this world. But if people are determined not to believe in them, well, you can argue with them until you're blue in the face, but you will never convince them. And Jesus knew full well that he was never going to convince these Pharisees to believe in him, regardless of how many signs and wonders he performed. And yet, they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of his people, pointing them to God's presence and work in their lives. But they were blind guides, unwilling to see the truth. And so in his frustration with them, Jesus sighs deeply, and he says to them, in effect, you will receive a sign over my dead body. And of course, they would. After all, the cross and the empty tomb are the greatest signs the world has ever known. But but even then, they still did not believe, because the gospel will always remain hidden to unbelief. And so Jesus chooses to to walk away from these Pharisees and their pointless arguments, which is usually the best thing to do, because most of the time they are simply temptations to distract us from the mission. And Jesus will allow nothing to distract him. So he takes his disciples and they get right back into the boat again and start sailing across the sea. And while they're in the boat, Jesus gives his disciples a warning saying, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Now, yeast, as you all know, is what makes bread rise when it is baked in the oven. But if the dough gets some bad yeast in it, it can infect the entire loaf and ruin the whole thing. And Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of the the dangerous influence of King Herod and the Pharisees who who represented the, the political and the social and the religious power in their land. I mean, they're the ones who controlled the media and who shaped the public values, and who created and enforced the laws. In other words, they represented the culture in which the disciples lived. And Jesus wanted them to be very clear that they will either be disciples of his or of theirs, but they cannot be both. 
They will either choose to live under His influence or the cultures, but they can serve only one. And if they are not paying constant attention and keeping their focus on Jesus, the culture will win every time. You know, I'm not sure that there could be a more timely warning for us from Jesus than this. After all, we live in a culture that is not only becoming more and more hostile to the Christian faith, but one that is very effectively shaping followers of Jesus into its own image, instilling within us its values and its lenses through which to view the world. And most of the time, it's happening so subtly that we're not even aware of it. It's happening perhaps through social media, uh, most of all, but it also happens through the the commercials and the movies and the television programs we watch, especially all those opinion shows that have very little concern for the truth. It happens through the books and and the newspapers and the magazines we read and the the stuff we look at on the internet. It, It happens through the legislation that is passed and the political speeches that are given and the court decisions that are made. It's happening all around us all the time. Be very sure. Our culture is doing a breathtaking job of discipling Christians in this generation away from the Jesus of Scripture and into its own image. And do not be deceived. This is just as true of the cultural right as it is of the cultural left. Our culture is discipling us into people of doubt rather than faith where skepticism is practically celebrated as a virtue. And no one even knows if you can believe in anything anymore, except maybe for yourself, which is great if you want to be your own God. And our culture strongly encourages that. But you certainly can't claim that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Now, that would be arrogant and exclusivist. And we're told that we shouldn't force our faith onto our children. No, we should let them choose for themselves what they want to believe. This from the culture that claims there's no real truth worth believing in. And do not be fooled. If we do not give our children something worth believing in, they will not be choosing for themselves. Our culture will be choosing for them. And yet... If Jesus Christ truly is Lord, if He truly is Emmanuel, the Son of God who died for our sins and who rose for our salvation, then we have no greater responsibility, no greater mission and calling than to disciple our children in the ways and the words of Jesus. Which, of course, is part of what confirmation is all about that we will celebrate next Sunday. But you know, our culture is also discipling us into people of fearfulness and paranoia and insecurity and hate rather than people of trust 
and obedience and hope and love. It's discipling us into egocentric individuals who are concerned only about ourselves and our needs rather than our neighbor and our neighborhood and the needs of others. It's discipling us into people who believe that self-actualization and self-determination and self-expression are the greatest of all virtues. It's discipling us into people who are obsessed with achievement rather than character. With consuming rather than giving. With self-aggrandizement rather than humility. With winning rather than integrity. With self-indulgence rather than sacrifice. And let's not even get into morality. I mean, after all, there's really no such thing as right or wrong anymore. It's just whatever works for you. After all, we don't want to judge, right? As long as the ends justify the means, then it's all good. And what sign does our culture give for its vision of life and reality? Broken families, loss of community, overpacked prisons, widespread addiction, rampant gun violence and mass shootings, growing nihilism, Fear and even hatred of those who look different, think different, or vote differently from us. Mental and physical illness, the likes of which our world has never seen. And yet we fail to see the sign. Thinking that the problem is with them on that side. But Jesus loves us too much to let us be caught off guard. For he knows that we will either become a disciple of his or our cultures, but we cannot be both. And so he's trying to warn us just as he warned his disciples. Of course, the disciples completely misunderstood Jesus' point. When he mentions yeast, they think that he's chastising them for failing to bring enough bread to eat. And so I'm sure they started arguing among themselves, as they usually did. I can, I can hear Peter now. Who forgot to bring all that leftover bread? Andrew, wasn't that your job? Do I have to do everything around here? When Jesus heard them, I'm sure that he rolled his eyes and sighed deeply once again. Wondering how these 12 nincompoops, distracted by all their pointless arguments and agendas, were ever going to be ready to carry out his mission after he was gone. So he says, why are you still talking about having no bread? Don't you get it? Are you still so blind? 
Don't you remember when I fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, how I multiplied the blessings so that there was so much left over? Why are you still worried about having enough? Don't you see that the bread of life is in your boat? Well, do you? It's so easy to become distracted. But do you recognize the presence of Jesus in your life? Do you see all the blessings of grace that he has given to you, even in the midst of trials and heartaches in a worldwide pandemic? Do you remember all the ways that he has cared for you and provided for you in the past so that you can trust him again in the future? And do you hear Jesus calling you to invest in his kingdom rather than in the trappings of our culture, which will only decay like rotten bread? For though the bread that our culture offers us often looks so appealing and so tantalizing, be very sure that it is only an illusion that cannot save you or give you life. Only Jesus can do that. So the question is, what are you doing in your life? To develop eyes and ears of the kingdom rather than the culture. And be very sure, if, if we are not actively growing as disciples of Jesus, we will become disciples of our culture, believing its truths, upholding its values, obeying its commands. But there are a few places where this battle is being fought more fiercely than in our wallets. And I believe that there may be no greater act of faithfulness, no greater act of defiance against the corrupting power and influence of our culture than to give sacrificially in faith to the mission of Jesus Christ in and through his church. Remember, the bread of life is in your boat. If you can see that, then you become free to give joyfully and generously in great anticipation of all the ways that Jesus is going to multiply the blessing. But in order to see that, you're going to have to choose to believe. Amen.